Okay, the word of the Lord today is Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 36, and it's on page 1035 of the Church Bible. And it states that the believers share their possessions. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and thank you, Marilyn. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Great. So if you want to be encouraged, my recommendation is you get a Christian Centre Bible or your own or get it up on your phone and uh, find Acts chapter 4. It's right at the end. Chapter 4, verse 32 um, to the end. Um, Let's pray. Thank you that when we gather like this, Lord, um, we have various needs, but you are the one who meets our deepest needs. You satisfy our deepest hunger and our greatest thirst. So may we be hungry and thirsty for you in our lives and now as we break open your word, just as we broke the bread at communion. Please feed us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are looking at that. We're in this series through the Acts of the Apostles, journeying with the early church through a time of great change. We have our own kind of change here at Sea Salter coming up. And um, this is a little clip, this, this uh, um, story that Luke has remembered or had told to him. And um, we're looking at that. But I I just, if you've got your Bible, there's another very similar passage at the end of chapter 2. You may even have been thinking, is this that one or is it another? So let's just read it because we can compare the two. And this is Acts chapter 2, verse 42, which is quite similar to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And chapter 2, that says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, like we've just done, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Similar to our passage. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they were doing life together, weren't they? It was church, temple, and home. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
Those who were being saved, it's an evocative phrase, that's you and me. We're not static in Christ. He's doing something with us. He's forming us and shaping us and we are being saved. Um, what I want to say this morning is that, um, just move that handbag, it's a very nice handbag, but it's not my handbag, is that Christian preaching, <laughs> Christian preaching is good news offered and a way opened. Preaching is good news offered and a way Opened. Anytime one of us stands here, we're praying by the grace of God, we can offer good news and open up a good way. I just want to say that because that's very different from someone being here and telling you what you ought to do. Do you agree? There's a big difference. And one of the temptations with Scripture, and certainly with the Acts of the Apostles, is to look at the early church, little clips like that, and say, well, wow, that's an object lesson for us. We ought to be like that. We should be generous. We ought to sell our fields and houses and share the money. And we should be in prayer continually. We should be doing lives together. And that's not Christian preaching. That's about ought, must and should, isn't it? That's not offering good news and uh, suggesting a way that might be beckoning and inviting And what Fabian and I are saying to those of us who stand here and are going to preach through the Acts of the Apostles is don't do that, don't do that. Instead, find the good news and offer that because that's preaching. That's the good news. I think the good news here might be in verse 33. Check it out. Verse 33. I will read it. If I can find it. Oh, yes, there it is. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work among them all that there was no needy person among them. The good news here is that this sort of generosity and love is the kind of thing that happens when the life of Jesus is at the centre of the community and God's grace is released among us. Okay? In that kind of community, our lives and our characters are so shaped, so formed, that these things happen. Indeed, there will be those among us who are so caught up in the grace of God that they are raised up, sent out, and then fondly remembered as sons and daughters of encouragement. Those of you who were at the ordination service yesterday may have got a whiff of that, a sense of those there having been caught up, much to their bafflement sometimes, in in the grace of God, which has beckoned them forward. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news offered and a way opens. It's very different from us thinking and being made to feel guilty about things we ought to do. Do you agree? Now it's interesting because the Old Testament was insistent that there should be 
no poor among you. I think Luke may have had this in mind as he told these stories. Deuteronomy 15 verse 4, there should be no poor among you. Now, properly read, the Old Testament isn't about should, ought, and must. It's about the grace of God and what it means to live in the grace of God. But don't you like the New Testament emphasis here, which is saying when we live round Jesus in a community of grace, guess what? There won't be any poor among us. Do you see the difference? Well, some of us may be thinking um, this passage, like the similar one in chapter 2, has a hue of rose-tinted remembrance about it. Can life in the early church really ever have been this good? I think I want to say, if you look at the immediate context before and after our passage, you'll see that we're starting to run into quite a bit of conflict just before Uh, at the beginning of chapter 4, and we will come back to this in our series, but there are Peter and John hauled up before the Sanhedrin. And right after our passage, there is one of the darkest passages in the whole of the New Testament about a couple called Ananias and Sapphira. I'm hoping Fabian will preach on that passage when I'm gone. But I agree, there is a kind of halcyon days, it doesn't get much better than this feel about that scripture, isn't there, that we read, and the one I read with it. So I wonder whether we might think of this snapshot uh, as less like a straight snapshot in black and white or a, a diary entry in the early church's record of those early days and more like Monet's water lilies which you've all got hanging up in your bedrooms, haven't you? More like an Impressionist painting. Is Luke wanting us to get a sense of the atmosphere and the heart of a church living in the spirit with Jesus at the centre? This is the kind of care and sacrificial faith that you will get in a church like that. It's an impression, and it's real. And I say, if you think Monet's water lilies lacks all sense of usefulness and technical precision, then fine, but you're a Philistine. (laughs) So what do we see if we really look at this portrait of Luke's? It's just what I've noticed. A faith, a radical faith, a radical attitude which especially expresses itself in their attitude towards their stuff, their things. Their things have just lost the power that they once had in a community like this. We see faith that issues forth in practical, sacrificial action. We see there's a spirit of generosity and giving according to need. Verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And in that similar passage at the back end of chapter 2, verse 44, all the believers were together, 
and had everything in common. The Greek is hapanta koina. Koina, you get that word koinonia, which we often translate fellowship, togetherness. So they were hapanta koina. They had everything in common. They shared it. And I don't think this is some kind of political manifesto. That's not what's going on here. It's not about ownership or property as such. It's about attitude. Barnabas, at the end, could only sell his field because he actually owned the field. They still owned their stuff. But in their hearts, their attitude was so humble and radical that what they had was just available for God's good purposes. You just get a little flavour of this around the Grenfell Tower community at the moment, don't you? True perspective, stuff doesn't matter, let's just share it. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. They laid it at the apostles' feet. Some people think that that, was a, that phrase was indicative of a, um, a, a practice that developed in the early church of just laying stuff there, as it were, at the Lord's disposal. It's kind of what happens in church, isn't it? We develop rituals and things like the peace or whatever, and it, it's good. It's got a good purpose. It wasn't all the time. It wasn't compulsory. It was voluntary. It was sporadic from time to time. This is what happened. It was sporadic, but um, it did actually happen. All the, verse, all the uh, verbs here are in the imperfect tense. In other words, it happened, but then it went on happening. This is what you would see if you hung around there for a decent length of time. This radical uh, generosity. I think it's that this kind of humble attitude, do you agree with this? If you've got a humble attitude in a community, especially in a Christian community, it kind of, that kind of opens up a gracious space in which the Holy Spirit can really work. Do you see what I mean? Uh, a space in which Jesus' life can be manifested. It's the kind of thing that happens. It says God's grace was so powerfully at work among them. Now, if preaching is good news offered and a way opened, I want to say preaching is like falling off a log if you've got a community like this. Do you see? You've just got to say, look, see what's happening. Amen. And that's really what Peter did on the day of Pentecost. This that you see and hear, he said, it's what God had promised the Holy Spirit. Jesus is alive. Amen. And people were cut to the heart and were baptized and joined the new community just like that. Why? Because it was easy. It was all actually happening. And people could see it. Well, you may be sitting there and thinking, well, that's all very well. But wouldn't it be too intense to live like that? Can we live like that? Well, how do we want to live? Okay, remember that 
what you've got here are the well-remembered highlights of a church in transition. First, Jesus was dead. Then he was alive. Then he ascended to heaven. Then they were told to wait. Then he came back in the Holy Spirit. What are they supposed to think? This is transition. This is what we've been calling as we've been thinking about the transition that, that we are entering into as a church uh, we've used that fancy word liminality, which comes from limin, a Latin word for threshold. This is a transitional threshold time. So here is a church gripped by the great good news of Jesus living, risen, sorry, but l- learning to live that out. we find ourselves in threshold times like that when we're betwixt and between things. We've left one room, but we're not yet into the next room. It's a hiatus between stages of life or jobs or being ordained or not ordained for people like Vicky. That was a liminal thing in the cathedral yesterday. That's what that was, a transition. Finding yourself between loves or relationships. And the way that feels is odd, (laughs) disturbing, strange. The very ground is shifting beneath your feet. But stay with it, because in Christ and in the community of Christ, if we just own our reality, we will discover a hope that does not disappoint and rediscover that hope. What it means for us now in our new state. One of the things that sometimes happens in churches when the pastor moves on is that people ask themselves the question, what about me? Is it time for me to move on? Am I still part of this? Or am I on the move? Who am I now? What about me? If he can do it, maybe I can. But as we are saying here, as we're seeing in Acts, in a community of grace, that time of change is the very moment when we can own our reality and discover the hope of the gospel afresh for ourselves. It's a graced time when the point is we're not completely in control. Therefore, in God, something genuinely new can happen in a community living around the risen Christ in the light of his grace. That's what you see happening in the Acts of the Apostles. That's what's going to happen here in Seasalter as together we own that new reality and find a new sense of a hope that doesn't disappoint. Makes sense? You've got to admit, it makes sense, even if you're not quite there. This is what it will be like. Now, having said all of that, there is one remembrance here in this passage, right at the end, that is less 
Monet and more like specific biography. It's a very well-recalled memory of an individual which so impressed itself on the early church that when Luke got there with his historian's notebook, it came back with precision and detail and he wrote it down. Verse 36, here he is. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The good news here is that a church which lives in grace around the risen Christ produces people like this. People who may stay or like Barnabas, in the end, moved on, finding himself to be good news somewhere else. But whether you stay or whether you go, in a church like this, you're transformed. Our vision here is that we can see our lives, our town, our world being transformed through the love of God in Jesus Christ. And this man here, Barnabas, was a Jew. It says he was a Levite. He'd made money buying and selling property around Jerusalem. Clearly, he had found faith in Jesus Christ. He'd made his commitment. He'd been baptized and so found his way in this new movement, the church. And he offers this gift. And Barnabas is remembered partly for that, but also quite majorly for what happens next as he exercises encouraging leadership in the early church. And in our cell notes this week, we will explore how Barnabas lived out his new name, son of encouragement. We will track his activity through the Acts of the Apostles and see how Barnabas' encouraging ministry was absolutely crucial in keeping the early church together and on the front foot in God's mission. Because community like this forms real character. It turns us into beautiful water lilies. (laughs) It leads to concrete action. To change the analogy, like pebbles on the beach, we knock edges from each other and if we stick with it, we get formed and shaped and stretched in Christ. You see, in Christ, we are meant to be together. And just to finish, I want to say that's what I am so deeply grateful for, for the way that being around all of you these years has helped me to grow. And some people would say, He's now almost grown up. Thank you. Thank you. It's a precious thing, and I'm deeply grateful for it. Because you and I, as it says at the end of the chapter 2, we are those who are being saved. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. And the way Jesus does that is through each other. So listen to this. This is why if I hear of anyone giving up after I've gone and not coming to church, I will be back here knocking on your front door 
wanting to know why, saying, get back in there, own your reality, and find afresh the hope that does not disappoint. Because I might stop being your vicar, but I'm not going to stop being your friend, right? And that's the kind of thing friends can say to each other even more easily than a vicar can say, right? It's true. So here today in Scripture is good news offered and a way opened. It's all about the life of Jesus among us. As like them, we testify to the resurrection with grace and power. And all we have to do is hang in there, cherish these portraits in Scripture, stick with it and wonder Wonder what the grace of God will achieve in our lives in the next month, in the next year, and in all the time to come. Amen.